A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Welcome to Crooked Conversations. This is your Crooked contributor, Simone D. Sanders and spokesperson for the culture. And today we're going to talk about polling, y'all. Yes, I will be joined by Harvard's pollster du jour, John Delavolpe, and Teddy Landis, who is the student chair of the Harvard Public Opinion Project. Harvard um, has just released the 35th National Youth Poll conducted by the Institute of Politics at the Harvard Kennedy School. And this poll is important because it examines the political opinions and civic engagement of young Americans ages 18 to 29. This matters because everybody's talking about millennials and what you all will hear soon about it, the post-millennials, um, and what they're thinking about, what they want, what will they do in 2018, and Harvard has got the numbers that nobody else has. So we're going to have this conversation today. I care about this not just because I'm a millennial, but because everyone's, everybody wants to beat up on the young people um, when it, in, the, in the political arena. Everyone wants to tell us what it is that we need, what it is that we want. Folks are hypothesizing about what will bring us out uh, instead of going and talking directly directly to the young folks and just asking us, you know, how do we feel about this? How do we feel about that? Well, Harvard has consistently done this uh, for over 35 semesters, and I'm looking forward to jumping into these numbers. So stay tuned. We're about to get into it. Thank y'all for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. This is great. Thanks, Simone. Well, I'm super excited to be here. This is amazing. So first of all, this is the 35th Harvard survey is older than me. This is the 35th survey of young Americans' attitudes towards politics and public service. How how does this even come about? Do you do this every spring? This is the spring 2018 release of Harvard's polling. Give us a little bit of history about the survey. Yes. Thanks, Simone, again, for having us. And the st- story of this survey, it was never my idea. This survey is the brainchild of two Harvard undergraduates, Aaron and Trevor, who were on this campus almost 20 years ago, back in 1999 and 2000. They made the observation that that seemed like every member of their generation was involved in some kind of community service, whether it's on this campus or other campuses across the country and in high schools. But they questioned why more young people weren't interested in voting. They had looked at the 1996 presidential campaign between Dole and Clinton, were were disheartened by the lack of enthusiasm among young people, and came to us to say, we want to survey this generation. Don't young people understand if they volunteer and vote, they can move the country, move it, move the country ahead faster. And um, that's the genesis of this poll. The idea of it was to do it one study group, one semester. Mm-hmm. And as you said, I think that's like 35 <laughs> semesters ago, 20 years ago. And it's been uh, an incredible ride. So this is a student-led project primarily then, Teddy. So as the student chair, what is your role in this 35th annual survey, this 35th poll? Yeah, it's incredibly exciting. We have a team of 28 students from 13 different states and three different countries. Um, and every semester we come together to focus group and brainstorm about what we think young people care about most. So through that process, we come up with some surprising questions. Two years ago, we asked this famous question about whether young people believe in uh, socialism or support capitalism. 
that was something that wasn't on many pollsters' radar. But mm-hmm. because we had this team of students who are very in touch with other folks their age were able to develop those sort of unique questions. Yes. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Okay, so let's jump into the actual polling here, because I hear that y'all have seven things everyone should know about young Americans in 2018. At least seven, but we'll, we'll deal the first seven right now, right? Give me the uh, first seven, please. Uh, here, 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 here's, the, here's the first thing, Simone, that young, young Americans, they are just deeply concerned, frankly, about the state of our democracy today in its institutions. You don't say. They, right, <laughs> two-thirds, 64% of young Americans, and, and just to kind of reset the frame here, we're talking young Americans, young people between the ages of 18 and 29 so technically speaking, about half of them would be called millennials, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know a lot about millennials. The other half would be we're calling them post millennials. I don't. Th- I think it's too early to um, to have the the, the the moniker for this generation. Okay, okay. but um, they're deeply concerned about the country, the state of our democracy, and we know who they blame. And who do they blame? Politicians. Really? So the majority of young folks in this poll blame politicians about the state of our like democracy, American politics today? So we asked a series of various uh, entities that they could blame. Mm. And across party lines, politicians remain the number one uh, choice for millennials to blame. Absolutely. What was the number two choice? The number two choice was... It's essentially big media, uh, big money in the media are essentially kind of the, think about like the top, the top tier for Democrats and Republicans alike. Politicians, big money in the media. I think the most compelling aspect of that series of questions is the differences beyond the top three when you look at young Democrats and young Republicans. And uh, young Democrats are highly concerned about the, the degree to which structural racism is, is causing fissures within our democracy and specifically lack of access to higher education are essentially kind of round out the top five with media, politicians, big money. Of course, uh, they blame Donald Trump, occupant of the White House as well. Absolutely. And those are, but what about young Republicans? Young Republicans tend to take a bit of a different approach. They are more likely to blame things like political correctness. Mm. Um, Also more likely to blame media. Democrats do blame the media, but Republicans blame it at a higher rate and are less likely to blame more structural factors like access to higher ed and uh, structural racism. All right. That's the first thing folks need to know about young Americans in advance of the 2018 election. (laughs) What would you say number two is? Number two. Uh, youth are expected to play a very significant role in our upcoming midterms. We've been tracking interest in voting for millennials for Mm -hmm. a long time now. And what we're seeing in 2018 is the highest level of interest for a midterm since at least 2010. 37% of millennials say that they're going to definitely be voting um, this coming spring, this coming fall, sorry. And particularly among Democrats, we're seeing an incredibly high amount of energy. 51% of 18 to 29-year-olds say that they will be voting this November. 51%. So one could argue that, that, you know, young people will play a key role in this uh, proverbial blue wave that everyone keeps talking about that could potentially be coming in the midterm elections. All of the enthusiasm with the with the youth vote is coming from is coming from young Democrats, and uh, to give you some sense, uh, uh, during the midterms of 2014, 23 percent of this generation indicated that they will definitely vote or like highly likely vote today. As Teddy said, it's 37 percent. In the wave election of 2010, it was 31 percent. Democrats are almost twice as likely to vote than they were four years ago. Um, Republicans are up just a couple of points. Wow. And I'll, I'll add that a lot of this energy is actually uh, very recent. Um, we asked a similar question in the fall. And overall, we have seen a significant jump. And most of that jump has come from, which is very exciting for me, from 18 to 24-year-olds. As a 24-year-old, as a 20-year-old, um, we saw a 13-point jump just from the fall among young 
Democrats who say they're going to vote. That's 18 to 24 year old Democrats, 13 points from the fall. I mean, well, I'm, I'm sure lots of things happened that probably contributed to that. So I have a question before we go to the to the next point. So is, is this something that looking at this polling, should Republicans be concerned about uh, the lack of enthusiasm in this poll from young Republican voters? Without question, to give you some sense of um, of where this generation started, again, millennials, largest generation in the history of America. Back in 2000, when the oldest millennials, when Aaron and Trevor were voting for the first time, when you look at the exit poll, Simone, um, they were essentially split evenly 50-50 for, for Al Gore and, and George Bush back in 2000. So it's it's a fallacy to believe that young people are, kind of, are born Democrats. It's something that's kind of learned, um, certainly with this generation, over over their experience. So uh, Republicans should be very concerned because those young Democrats that were kind of born out of the post-9-11 Obama wave of the early 2000s are now the most reliable Democrats within the overall electorate, those folks in their 30s right now, the most reliable, most progressive people in the electorate, and we wouldn't have a Democratic senator from Alabama if not for the uh, that 30-something-year-old vote. So they should be concerned. Having said that, they don't need, I, I don't think, to win the, the generation outright to be competitive in a national election. They just need to essentially kind of lose less badly. Obama mm. got 66% in 08. He got 60% of the youth vote in 12. And that is essentially kind of the magic number, like getting to 60%. Um, George W. Bush in, in 04 got about 50, got about 45% or so. So it's not about winning the youth vote for Republicans. It's about losing it less badly. Losing it less badly. Okay, okay. What's the third thing folks need to know about young Americans, particularly in advance of these 2018 midterm elections? Well, when we when we think about turnout in, in November, we want to understand kind of what the underlying causes are. And it's 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 more than just overall frustration with the White House or with the way in which the country is being governed today. What we're seeing, Simone, is uh, is what we've been calling kind of a once-in-a-generation attitudinal shift about the efficacy of voting and political engagement. Let me explain. Right, because for, for some people out there, they're, they're probably like, John, what is efficacy? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> when, when, I know what efficacy but is. When we, what is efficacy? When we started the survey back, again, almost 20 years ago, we wanted to understand what the barriers were to voting. Mm. And we realized that folks who don't believe that their vote matters, that there's not a tangible difference in, whether, in, in voting, that that was kind of a, a disincentive to participation. And what we found was before and after September 11th, we found a 14 or 15 point shift in the degree to which young people found politics tangible, that there were tangible results driven from their political engagement. So that was one of the key factors that led to kind of the 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 movement, you know, from from Howard Dean in 04 mm-hmm. uh, through through Obama in 08. And then once Obama got elected and was in the White House, we found that that gap, the, the level of folks, the level to which young people thought that politics mattered was tangible was was lessened. And you know, we had gridlock and we had a recession and, and folks were pretty depressed. And we saw, again, after 2016, that same 15, 16 point jump. So what 16 mm. did was it awakened kind of the political consciousness of this young millennial, post-millennial generation, just like 9-11 did. So when pol- when people think politics matters, when people think politics is tangible, they are far more likely to vote. And that's the kind of underlying cause of why we have so much enthusiasm in, um, in 2018. Um, and I just want to add one thing because, you know, got to speak out for kids my age. 
almost all of that change has come from 18 to 24 year olds. In spring 2016, we're at 19, we're now up nine points to 28 among youngest people, whereas in the older cohort, um, the change has been less pronounced. The change has been less pronounced. Cricket Conversations is brought to you by Tripping. <laughs> what? It is. Don't visit a ton of different sites. On Tripping.com, one search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. Vacation rentals offer more, more privacy, more space for everyone under one roof, and more choices with fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms, and even hot tubs. Jacuzzi, hot tubs? Jacuzzis, John. Jacuzzis. <laughs> jacuzzis, Tommy. Yeah. Jacuzzis. You're tripping. <laughs> all the comforts of home and then some. Best of all, at tripping.com, you can join the millions of travelers who find more savings with rates up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. So, if you're planning spring break on the beach in Florida, tripping.com. Can't wait to swim in Lake Tahoe this summer? Tripping.com. Dreaming of sitting on the deck of a Smoky Mountains cabin? Tripping.com. This year, save time and money when you book the vacation home of your dreams with tripping.com slash convos. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash convos. Find your... Your... Perfect... Perfect... Jacuzzi... Hot tub... Vacation rental. <laughs> tripping.com slash convos. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. I mean, the first time I could vote was in 2008 for President Obama. So I'm a I'm a member of those millennials that voted for Obama, uh, saw saw him get elected and saw that, OK, clearly, like my vote matters and it counts. But it seems as though that this post millennial generation will be the, the generation that saves us, if you will, uh, John and Teddy. Like what? So. Is this something that you think, if you were advising uh, candidates in 2018 and even folks that might even want to jump in the jump in the fray early 2020, would you advise them to really take a hard look at this post-millennial generation um, as a as a place for where political engagement and activism is ripe for the the picking? Yeah, without question, anyone who is going to be successful in 2018 or 2020 has to think about ways to kind of expand the electorate. Mm -hmm. This is what Obama did so well, I think, in 2008. He expanded the electorate. He focused on building a coalition that really, I think, was was started with a kind of the foundation of young people. And um, and the idea, I think, especially with 18 to 24-year-olds, we know that they've grown up and, and had a lot of, they saw a lot of value in community service. They care deeply about their community, their state, their country, and the world. They're not apathetic. So what candidates in 2018 and potentially 2020 need to do is they need to kind of inspire and empower them to do something by showing the tangible difference that participation in all forms of our democracy can make. And that's the only way, I think, to kind of rebuild kind of the, the institutions that they have so many problems with today. Hmm. All right. So number four, does number four have anything to do with who folks would rather 
uh, have in control of Congress. Because I hear a lot about the generic ballot um, and how how the generic ballot is shrinking, the lead for Democrats is shrinking. Uh, But I want to know how millennials feel particularly about who should be in control of Congress or even post-millennials. I mean, so looking at the data, it's pretty clear who millennials prefer, and it's Democrats. Mm. Um, Democrats have a 41-point lead over Republicans going into the 2018 election. Wow. 41 point lead. I mean, and what is what is that attributed to? So 69 percent say that they prefer Democratic control. We believe that that very much has to do with the rejection of uh, Donald Trump's policies and presidency. Donald Trump currently has a 25 percent approval rating among 18 to 29 year olds. Say that again, Teddy. What is his approval rating among 18 and 29 year olds? 25 percent. And is that just Democrats or Democrats and Republicans? That is all of 18 to 29 year olds. Just a quarter of them approve of him. Okay. To give you some sense, and even when you look at um, the kind of the youth vote regarding their um, the perceptions of the president, they in many ways mirror a reflection of older Americans. Mm-hmm. For example, when we look at eighteen to twenty nine year olds who are white who don't have who don't have a college degree who are not in college, they look a lot like kind of their their parents and their grandparents. Forty four percent, for example, members of that slice have a uh, favorable or approve of the way in which he's doing. So, in many ways, young people. Are in, in this case, kind of a reflection or, you know, a significant reflection of what's happening across across um, America. I'll tell you something, though, that a couple of issues that young people have uh, stronger disagreements with with the president and I think are, are, are responsible for his approval rating going down six points in the last year is his overall lack of uh, progress on two important issues, one of which is gun violence, mm-hmm. where less than a quarter, 24 percent approve. And then uh, race relations, where it's at 21%. Really? So, I mean, you mentioned gun violence. I have to ask, so how important is gun control in determining the vote for young people in 2018 of those that you polled? Or did, how about did you it's poll in, Yeah, we, we did. We did okay. And we've been polling this issue, Simone, for, for several years now. Oh. So among all young people, 77% believe it is a very important or an important issue in determining, among likely voters, by the way, in determining their vote. So um, highly, highly important one. The second thing is, I think, frankly, kind of this issue is is transcends just the policy debate about gun control. And it is symbolic of all the ills that young people find in Washington, D.C., kind of when you think about kind of Newton's law of physics, for every action, there's a reaction. Well, for all the inaction on this issue, there is an action by young people, not just to protest and to register, but to organize and to move and to vote this coming November. So um, that is the difference, I think, in some of the intensity that Teddy talked about from the fall to the spring. Although the attitudinal shift on guns has been happening for many years now, mm-hmm. post Newtown, not just post Parkland. So I, I have to ask, I'm sure you polled specifically about the Parkland students. Mm-hmm. Um, so what were the, the feelings, if you will, of voters, likely voters and then all voters for that matter, about the student led protests and if they thought that they would have a have a lasting impact? Yeah, so we, we actually, we personally had the opportunity to brief some of the Parkland students when they came mm. to Harvard. Um, and so we were very interested in learning more about how other young people are viewing their movement. Uh, we find that just about half, of, a little bit more than half of likely voters um, see this movement as having a lasting impact on gun control in the U.S., on gun laws in the U.S. But I think more significantly is that their movement is part of a larger 
massive attitudinal shift in how we are viewing gun control. Mm. Um, from 2013 to the present, we are seeing a 15-point shift across a bunch of different types of gun reforms. 64 support stricter gun laws today. Um, that was at 49% back in 2013. 58% support an assault weapons ban. That's, again, up around a little bit more than 15 points from 2013. And also 53% hold an unfavorable view of the National Rifle Association. Um, and that's also a significant increase from 2013. Wow. Okay. So. And a significant increase. And that is the only number, Simone, to interject. That is the only number that moved significantly since the fall. So as I said, uh, views towards assault weapon ban, towards like the generic stricter gun laws have been shifting over the years post-Newtown. The uh, the net increase in the unfavorable opinion of the NRA, most of that is baked in since uh, since since the fall in that CNN town hall, I think. Oh, my goodness. OK, good. I mean, I mean, this is this. I think this information folks need to have, because a lot of times I just think folks talk about younger voters, millennials and these posts. I think we just go ahead and run with post millennials, John and Teddy. We just we're just going to claim it that that is what this generation is not going to be called the post millennials, the PMs of the world, <laughs> the if you will. <laughs> I, I think folks have a have a tendency to talk about millennials and the post millennial generation in um, with a broad stroke brush, mm -hmm. and we really don't uh, delve down into the meat and potatoes of what it is uh, millennials really think and post millennials really think. So I, I, that's why I just think this is so fascinating. Okay, what else? What are the, what else do we need to know? What are, I think we're on like what this is. Well, I think I skipped ahead. So this is number six because so, the guns was number five. Give me number six. Number six. Millennials have varying degrees of trust in institutions throughout the United States. Mm. Um, the military remains the most trusted institution. And what's and the least trusted? The least trusted, the president of the United States, the federal Lord. government, Congress, media, and Wall Street. Not crooked media, though. Not crooked, not crooked media. media. No. Um, Fact check, not crooked <laughs> media. Thank you. But new thing that we looked at this year was trust in uh, technology institutions. Mm -hmm. um, so Facebook, right, has been the news uh, with Cambridge Analytica scandal. So we polled folks before that happened, and only 26% of young people trusted Facebook to do the right thing most of the time or some of the time or all of the time. I mean, that's what's so um, prescient, I think, about kind of the, the, the student involvement in this, Simone. Like, I never would have been smart enough in January or February to suggest asking questions about Facebook. It's like they <laughs> knew something was going to happen or something. So these questions were designed well ahead of the Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, a story broke. And we asked uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Uber, Twitter, and Facebook. And to me, it's really interesting that we see two very distinct groups. We see Amazon and Google having twice as much trust among young, among members of this millennial and post-millennial generation than the rest of them. Really? And that was before Cambridge Analytica. And I think it's more likely to, than not that among the people who said they trusted Facebook um, most of the time or all of the time, that number would be decreasing clearly since since Cambridge Analytica. Since Cambridge Analytica. Do you think that the, the trust for it was Amazon and Google, correct? Mm -hmm. Do you think the trust for Amazon and Google comes from the fact that particularly for younger folks, millennials and post-millennials, uh, I know if I order something... I am probably ordering it from Amazon Prime, and that's the only way it's going to get to my house uh, and, have the, and so the concierge can grab it because I'm never at home. <laughs> and do you think the other part about Google is the fact that we have literally grown up? Well, I remember when we didn't used to have Google. I was I, I was in school, and we still had flip phones, um, and we had to go to the library and look in the encyclopedias. But do you think part of this comes from the fact that when you want to know something, you go to Google? Right. You Google it. Right. I, I think, like— <laughs> exposure to the scandalous side of these companies mm -hmm. feels a lot closer to home when it's on a place like Facebook, where, you know, that's supposed to be your community. Twitter's supposed to be your community. And so when those companies don't live up to our standards, we feel it a lot more than we would 
with Google where it's, you know, Google's a service we use a, a lot, but it's not, you know, where we go to talk to friends. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. That's a good. Oh, I didn't think about it like that. All right. What is the last thing? Maybe not the last thing, but one of the one of the, the top seventh thing uh, that folks need to know about young Americans uh, in advance of the 2018 midterm elections. Well, we, we spent a lot of this conversation thinking about uh, trust in institutions, the state of our democracy, you know, domestic policy. Students also want to focus on other things that they were fearful about and certainly mm. you know, life or death issues uh, such as war. And we we were constructing the poll right after the latest um, national defense strategy memo was released. And we asked essentially kind of a, a, a two-step series of questions, one of which is, how likely is it, do you think, that we'll be in our military will be in conflict or engage on, on a, across a series of different theaters, one? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, would, would any of these situations in, uh, encourage or inspire you to join the military service? So that's what we focused on. And we found that a majority of this 18 to 29-year-old cohort see in the future, as in the next five years, military conflict across multiple fronts, okay, on the ground and in cyberspace. Specifically, a majority plus see us in conflict in North Korea. Same thing in Iran. And um, as we mentioned, too, the issue of cyber terrorism is significant with a potential conflict with Russia just below the 50% mark. Oh, my God. So this this to me seems like it underscores um, initially what the numbers that you all talked about in terms of young Americans being fearful, fearful in these times. If if, in fact, young Americans, particularly in this poll, believe that we'll be engaged in a number of fronts, I think that contributes to the fearfulness factor and the numbers that we've seen in this in this poll. Would that be be accurate? You know, I'm not a pollster. I just, you know, I just moonlight as one every now and then. (laughs) Well, you're doing a pretty good job, so I'm going to be careful about like my my station here at at, at the IOP. So, but but you're you're right because you can have it, Simone. It, it was just only five or six years ago, and and I would have uh, conversations and focus groups and town meetings across America with younger people as well as older people, and I'd ask, what is the one thing that connects all of us as Americans? Mm-hmm. And almost to a person, regardless of what city I was in, whether it was Beverly Hills or or Memphis, Tennessee, I'd hear opportunity. And in some places, it might take more steps. To get, you mm-hmm. know, to get that opportunity than in other places, but there was still some sense of opportunity. I have the same conversations today in the same cities. I hear a very different answer. I hear fear, wow. anxiety, and tragedy, and, and the role of the military and the anxiety, especially with young Americans, um, is, is, is significant. It's palpable. It's something that needs to be addressed because if we do go into uh, conflict, we need to have Marines, sailors, you know, um, we need to have people to uh, look. We have to have folks that are willing to put their. I mean, unless folks are reinstituting the draft. And I don't know. Did y'all ask about reinstituting the draft in this poll? No, but given these numbers, we might have to Mm. because we found that only one in 10 say among those who aren't already serving, say there's a good chance they'll join the military Mm. under any of these circumstances. And that is a fairly kind of generous um, uh, kind of description of, in terms of the way we ask the question, in terms of the, the likelihood of uh, propensity to join any of these um, branches of the military. I'm so glad y'all do this survey. I'm, <laughs> I, like, I, I think this is so important because, unfortunately, w- regardless of what side of the aisle folks are on, you rarely see deep, deep dives into 
uh, the millennial voters and even the post the post millennial voters. I've been involved in a number of research projects. I mean, at Priorities, at Priorities USA, we did a deep dive on African American millennial voters. But to be honest, I didn't even think about the post millennials. I didn't think about talking about surveying the folks right on up under the millennials that are doing the work. So I think that's why um, Harvard survey and the fact that you all have consistently done this. 35 surveys in, looking forward to 36, 37, 38, 39, and 40 uh, is super important. Is there anything else y'all think we need to know? Anything from the numbers that, and maybe it's not in the top seven, maybe it was in the top 10, or maybe the 15th thing in the poll that we need to know. What, 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 what could be something that we missed here? So we've spoken a lot about good news for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Give me the bad news. But we shouldn't cheer <laughs> too soon. In the fall, we asked people, we asked Democrats, actually, does the Democratic Party care about people like you? Only one third say it did. Hmm. Over one third of all young people say the Democratic Party cares okay. about them. And, and, and that is news, which is, though, we talked a lot about, and, we, and, and all this data is available online, and you can see trends. And overall, we see a more progressive generation than we had seen previously. So every year, we see a couple of points um, of, of attitudinal shift, essentially kind of further to the left. Despite that, as Teddy said, only one third of this generation feels like the Democratic Party cares about people like them. And that's not good. And it's it's better than the number who think Republicans care about them, which is about one in five. So, mm. um, so what we're saying is that I think elected officials, political parties, et cetera, need to really kind of listen to kind of the insights of from Teddy, the insights from almost 20 years of this research and begin to build relationships now with young people. They are not a kind of a transactional sort of generation, Simone, as you know. You need to have a relationship or feel good about the things that you buy, the things that you support, and certainly the things that you vote for. So we have an opportunity now because of this change of attitude around the efficacy of politics that people are paying attention. Uh, thanks in many ways to all the work of young people around the country registering folks, that's great. But the, the number of people who vote won't be as high as it can be unless Democrats and Republicans, young people and older people, engage, inspire, and empower them to vote in, uh, in November and beyond. Because young folks just ain't going to come out for the come out. I think people, uh, what we saw in 2016 in the general election, definitely what I saw uh, in the primary, is that you have to talk to young people. You have to speak directly to the issues um, that they care about, the issues that are affecting their lives. And newsflash, young people care about the economy. They care about jobs. Young people absolutely care about tax reform. We do. We care about making public colleges and universities tuition free and student loan debt reform and climate change. But I think there's also a number of other things we care about, too. Would you would you agree, Teddy? Yes, absolutely. Um, and this is a tremendous opportunity for both political parties. And I really hope they don't mess it up. Well, you know, we're going to have to keep all our fingers and toes and legs crossed for this one because uh, what what we've seen is that sometimes folks can fumble the ball, looking like the Atlanta Falcons in the fourth quarter <laughs> of the Super Bowl. Okay, before we go, before we go, two things. So one, um, where can folks find y'all on the interwebs? Y'all got Twitter handles? Come on, John. Yeah, so uh, uh, my Twitter handle is at Delavolpe, D-E-L-L-A-V-O-L-P-E. We post a lot at the Harvard IOP Twitter handle as well, Harvard IOP. Um, you can also follow me at Teddy Landis one My takes are hot and my follower <laughs> count is low. <laughs> 
right, Teddy, we're going to try to get that follower count up. And if folks are interested in uh, learning more about the Harvard poll, um, if you're interested in seeing some of this additional research that's happened, you can go to iop.harvard.edu with the backslash spring-2018 poll. Or you can just go to iop.harvard.edu and click around, look at all the fabulous spring 2018 fellows such as myself, but also learn more about this polling. So last question, what happens now? Are you all going to go out and do some briefings? Because I, I think the goal is to get this information far away. Yeah, we were, we've been fortunate to sit with so many um, people who have been interested in this. So we're, we're in, the, in the process of still continuing kind of the, the conversations like this throughout the media. And then we hope to spend more time on, on Capitol Hill throughout Washington. And essentially anyone who's interested in taking a briefing, we're happy we're happy to arrange one. Um, I was so honored uh, back several years ago now to brief this to one of our former members of this committee, uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who co-chaired okay. the uh, the Millennial Caucus within the Republican Caucus. So um, it's pretty incredible to see the history and the legacy of, of young people like Teddy. We also uh, briefed uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, who worked on this poll when he was an undergraduate here. So who knows? In a few years, we'll be briefing Teddy somewhere in Washington, D.C., I'm sure. Absolutely. I'm be hitting up Teddy with my resume for a job <laughs> soon and very soon. Well, thank you all so much for today for this polling. I can't wait to see the 36th poll. Uh, and this is information I think everybody needs to see. So again, guys, check out iop.harvard.edu for more on this poll. Uh, and Hopefully, our elected officials are listening. Thanks, Simone. Come back to Harvard, please. Come back. Don't leave. <laughs> I will come back. Right. I'll be back. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like this conversation, please rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cricket Contributor and your spokesperson for the culture, Simone D. Sanders, signing off. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.